I hope that you um, think critically about what we sing at times. And there's a line in that song we just sang, which says, give me faith to trust what you say. And we, as you know, we have been talking about the afterlife, and there are some uh, great truths in Scripture that we're really comfortable with and grateful for, like we have the potential, the opportunities to spend eternity with God in heaven. And there are some things that we're frankly uncomfortable with, the idea that some people we love that anybody could spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell is, should be devastating. But we need the faith to trust what God says. We need the faith to understand that his word is truth, whether it makes us comfortable or uncomfortable. And so we're, we're actually wrapping up this series today And if you've been with us, you know that we've spent a couple of weeks talking about heaven. We spent one week last week talking about hell, which is the life of death in the absence of God. And obviously, what we learned is that Scripture reveals that those are the only two possible destinations for us when we move from this life to the next one. It's heaven or hell, one or the other. God, give me faith to trust what you say. In the first week, I pointed out that the writer of Hebrews made this statement in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. He said, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. We, we initially looked at that verse as it points to the inevitability of our fate, we will, all of us, pass through the portal of death. At some point, we are going to die. Physical death is an inescapable part of life. But today, what I want us to do is actually drill down on the last part of that verse because it has a great deal of significance to us the writer says that inevitably, after death, we will face judgment. That's what's going to happen. When we move from this life to the next one, we're going to face judgment. Now, what is judgment? It's exactly what you think it is. Not... I feel judged by my neighbor, but it is judgment before the judge of life. It is the moment where we appear before God who will determine our guilt or innocence. Judgment is the moment that we will appear before God who will determine our guilt or innocence. So what are we going to be tried for? What, what, what's going on in that judgment? Well, there are actually two things. Two different things that we will be judged for that will actually take place at two different hearings. 
Okay, the first, we will be judged for how we responded to Jesus. Here's what we know about Scripture. When we die and we face judgment, we are going to answer for our response to Christ. The good news of salvation and his offer of forgiveness. The second thing we will be judged for at what Scripture calls the final judgment is what we did with the opportunity of our lives. How we lived the decisions that we made. The first judgment happens immediately upon death. And if we have accepted Christ's offer for forgiveness, then we are found not guilty. We are judged as pure by our Creator because Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. And then after that has been established, we are free to enter heaven. Now, if we've rejected, if you've rejected Christ's offer for forgiveness, then the scripture teaches us that your sins are not forgiven. And therefore, the judge will render the appropriate response and find us guilty. And at that point, the scripture teaches us that the wages of our sin will come due and... We are sentenced to death. That is eternal death. It is life without God forever. That's the first judgment. Heaven or hell is determined at that time. The second or the final judgment is when God judges us for the contributions we made to the kingdom we served. Two kingdoms. Kingdom of light, kingdom of God. That's one. And kingdom of darkness. The second judgment will be where we are judged for the contributions to the kingdom we chose to serve. And there will be rewards or punishments based on our actions. Now, the first thing we need to do is understand that for the believer, the second judgment is going to be different than it will be for the non-believer. For the believer, the idea of punishments is completely removed and it is actually replaced by what Paul calls loss. So there will not be punishments, there will be loss. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But here's what we have to remember. When Christ died for our sins on the cross, he served as our substitute. It was an offering. He said, I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve as I die on the cross. He was our substitute. That means he took the punishment for our sins and God no longer counts them against us. Hallelujah. As the psalmist says, our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And those two things never get together. Our sins have been removed from us when we place our faith in Jesus. So, here's the question. What happens to the believer at that second trial? What's going on? What are we being judged for? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
We're going to begin reading in verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the idea is that the foundation of the kingdom of God has been laid by Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. And our responsibility is to build on it. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives the fire, then the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, then the builder will suffer, and there's the word, loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So what's Paul saying here? The basic idea of this passage is rooted in the fact that as members of the kingdom of God, as followers of Jesus, we have responsibilities for building in the kingdom. As Paul told the Christians in Corinth in his second letter, we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are his representatives. He didn't say we choose to be his representatives. We get a shot at being his representatives. When we are followers of Jesus, we are his ambassadors. Therefore, listen closely, that means Christ is not a part of our lives. That means our Christian responsibilities, that they aren't something that we could choose to engage in. They are our lives. Christ is our life. Now, we may not see it that way, but at that second judgment, we'll discover God does. It's exactly how he sees it. And everything we do will be evaluated in the, in the light of the fact that we are citizen ambassadors. It's who we are. Kingdom builders. Now, according to that passage of Scripture, at the second judgment, which, by the way, appears to take place upon the, coming of Christ, the return of Christ, our works will be tested by fire. Now, listen, that's different than the fires of hell. Okay, totally different. These are testing fires. These fires will determine the God-glorifying quality of our actions. They'll determine whether or not the works we did brought glory to God and expanded his kingdom. So for the believer, we don't receive the fires of judgment the way a non-believer will, but our works do. Our contributions to the kingdom of God, or what we thought were our contributions to the kingdom of God, will be passed through 
the fire. And in these fires of testing will reveal that there are essentially only two kinds of works. Those that withstand the fire and those that do not. Now works that are made of gold, silver, and costly stones pass through the fire unscathed. Those are good works. And then there are those that won't hold up. Those are the works of wood, hay, and stubble. The fire will burn them every time. And since they will be consumed by the fires of testing, the builder slash ambassador who may have perceived them to be assets for God's kingdom, who may have perceived that what they were doing was actually building God's kingdom, will suffer not punishment but loss. They will suffer loss, which should be understood as the forfeiture of potential reward. Okay? It's the reward, the potential reward for serving God in His kingdom that we will lose if our works aren't truly God-glorifying and kingdom-building. Now again, Paul is careful to state, and I want you to hear me say this very clearly, that doesn't mean that the person will be lost. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the grace of His love for you and the offer of forgiveness, then you will be saved. You will enter into heaven. But as one, as he says in that scripture, as one who makes a narrow escape through the flames. So as believers, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, meaning that our place in heaven is guaranteed. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the scripture says he is a deposit guaranteeing that we have a place in heaven with God. However, the rewards that could somehow, mysteriously, inexplicably enhance our existence in heaven can be lost, forfeited. We will enjoy life with God in the bliss of heaven, but it won't be what it could be because our works did not survive the fires of testing. Now, I've been trying to figure out a way to make that make sense. Because it's really difficult. You know, you think, well, I'm, I'm going to be in heaven. And so, do, will I feel the loss? I mean, I, we're not going to be sad in heaven, right? So, I... I'm going to illustrate it, and, and I think this illustration is uh, profoundly inadequate. I'm just being honest, but, but I think it will help, okay? So you, you guys remember that where the Super Bowl was played this year? Do you know where, where was it? It was right here. It was in Tampa, right? And the Bucks were playing in it. Do you remember that? And the Bucks won. You remember that, right? Okay, just checking. Everybody's with me. Everybody's awake. Now, 
in that stadium, the number of people that the NFL determined could be there because of COVID, there were no doubt a number of Bucks fans there that night for the victory. And I would argue that it is something that any true Bucks fan will never forget, especially if they were there. Some of the fans were in the far reaches of the upper deck, right in the darkness where we could not see them as we were watching on TV. They, they were not right on top of the action, but they no doubt savored being present when the Bucks won the championship. It was a great event for them, right? But there were other Bucks fans in the stadium who were sitting in the lower bowl. They were much closer to the action. They were sitting at field level, and they could see things much more clearly. They could hear the game being played and probably what the players were saying. Now, they had better seats, but they had to pay more for those seats, right? It was a significant investment. But I would argue if you ask any one of them, they would say they were rewarded for the investment they made in getting closer to the field, closer to the action. Now in the end, every Bucks fan in that stadium, no matter where they sat, presumably enjoyed the thrill of a lifetime as they were able to celebrate not only with the Bucks players, but with Bucks Nation who was there as they hoisted the trophy. But those who invested more in the experience paid more for their seats, had a few more rewards for their investment, but the people in the upper deck didn't really care. They were there. It wasn't a competition. Us in the upper deck against them in the lower deck. It was a family celebration. They were there. And they savored the victory. Now, I think that is analogous to the way rewards work in heaven. Those whose works burn up in the second judgment and and they just get in as passing through the fire, they, they may not enjoy all the amenities of those who paid the price for works that last. But in the final analysis, they will be thrilled to be there, celebrating with everyone in heaven the victory of Jesus. That's the second judgment for believers. That's what it determines. How did your decisions impact the building of the kingdom of God? And if your work survived the fire of testing, you will be rewarded. And you'll be grateful. But that second judgment is not just for believers. I said that it's different for non-believers, but it is also for them. There, there will be an assessment of the works of non-believers as well. And in the same way that there will be rewards for good works in heaven, there will be punishments for harmful works that the non-believer did against the kingdom of God in hell. 
Now, it may be just as difficult to wrap your mind around, but give me faith to trust what he says. Now, let me just say parenthetically, I need to address an issue that often comes up that I'm, I'm not sure that we have been faithful to equip the body of Christ to answer. The, the second or final judgment actually teaches us, that is where we learn that not all sins are the same. Okay? Not all sins are the same. Now, why do I say that? Because you have probably heard this statement. Sin, sin. All sin is equal. Well, that's absolutely true as it impacts the first judgment. Okay? Whether your sin, maybe you only have one sin in your life, one time. I, I had more than one on the way to church today, but I'm, you, you know, I mean, we fall short. But let's say you just had one, okay? Let's say your sin was stealing paper clips from the office. Or maybe, maybe you just told a white lie. Maybe your sin is dishonoring your parents, or maybe your sin is psychologically or emotionally or even physically abusing a family member. Now, some of those things make us laugh, and one of those things break our hearts. But here's what the first judgment is for. The first judgment says, whatever the sin, there is the possibility of forgiveness. All sins at that moment are equal because the Scripture teaches us that one sin, any sin, can keep us from entering God's heaven because the standard for heaven is perfection. So any sin can keep us out. But faith by faith in Jesus and His shed blood, His offer for forgiveness, all sins are forgiven And we are able to enter heaven. They must all be forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. And so no matter how heinous or how seemingly inconsequential our sin is, it still has to be forgiven if we want to go to heaven. But that's the first judgment. With the second trial, the sins that are particularly injurious to the cause of Christ, by the way, you know what the cause of Christ is? It's people. The cause of Christ is you, it's your neighbor, it's people you like and don't like. And the sins that are injurious to people on their journey toward faith in Christ will be judged more severely. And that judgment will end in punishment. Okay, now th this is exactly what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 18. And you may remember this. At the beginning, there's this touching scene where Jesus reaches out and he, he embraces a child. 
Well, what's happened before that is the disciples are apoplectic about these parents who are bringing children to Jesus and they want Jesus to bless them. And in the disciples' mind, this is a total waste of time. Jesus has bigger fish to fry, more fish to catch. He has adults that he needs to invest in. And then Jesus makes this wonderful point about the importance of every person, that his cause is people. Look at verse 2 of chapter 18. He, he called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In other words, Jesus is saying to welcome and invest in a child is important work. It is literally to welcome and invest in Jesus. That's the kind of work that will not be burned up. Remember, his cause is people. It is always people. But he's not finished. Look at verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Now, Jesus makes it clear for those who would prevent a child from coming to faith or for those who would prevent people from coming to God with childlike faith, the punishment will be more severe. Those who litter the path to God with stumbling blocks will be held accountable. There's another story that Jesus told. He was talking about Capernaum, which is where he lived and did lots of miracles. And he said because of Capernaum's rejection that judgment, hell, will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for the people who rejected his clear work as the Messiah. There are degrees of punishment just as there are different rewards in heaven. Now, as it relates to punishment for non-believers, it is safe to say that the second judgment, after the second judgment, hell will be one thing for people who reject Jesus but aren't actually working actively working against him, and it will be another thing for those who consistently crusade against his cause. They, those people, will be punished more severely than the others. So here's the bottom line. There are, based upon the second judgment, there are rewards and punishments that will be meted out in our eternal home. They mean 
that what we do with our lives matter. It matters. And so we must not fall into the trap of thinking that our experience in the afterlife is solely based upon our response to Jesus' offer of forgiveness and salvation. It is important to consider what we do with Jesus and what we do for Jesus. Because it will matter. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 6. He says, God will repay each person, believer and non-believer, according to what they have done. God will repay each person according to what they have done. The underlying principle of that truth Everything matters. Every word, every thought, every deed matters. What you do with your finances, what you do in your job, what you do with and for your neighbors, how you invest in children, it all matters. And one day, God's going to play back the tape of our lives. For believers, we may just suffer the loss of forfeited rewards. But for those who reject Christ, the punishment could be more severe if you can wrap your brain around that. But that's the truth. That's how the scripture says it works. Now, it leads us to a very important question. Because hopefully, as you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm motivated to pursue the rewards of heaven. Here's the question. Is serving God for the prospect of rewards selfish? Is it appropriate? Because it seems weird, doesn't it? Like we're supposed to die to selves, and now we're saying, pursue rewards. Richard Dawkins, who is a prominent evangelist against God, evangelistic atheist, he says, he alleges, that the idea of heavenly rewards amounts to nothing more than a cosmic bribe. The objection is that it is obviously shallow and self-serving to live a moral life in hopes that it will pay off in the afterlife. In hopes, as believers, that we will be rewarded. And I tend to agree, to a degree. But this so-called problem with the teaching of the afterlife portrays a fundamental misunderstanding of Christian hope. There's something he doesn't get. Our work, our hope, is really not for heaven or the rewards that heaven offers. That's our destination. Our hope is for pure love. Our hope is for the presence of our Creator. We long for heaven. We store up 
treasures in heaven and we pursue the rewards of heaven because of our love for God and in response to his gracious love for us. Our work, the work that will be rewarded is work that is based in our love for God and directed toward others. See, the way we express our love for God is by loving and encouraging other people. That's why Jesus said, when asked, hey, tell us what the most important things to get about following God are. He said, well, there's it's two. There are two things. First, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, there, there's something that's just like that. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what it's about. And if we love God and love our neighbors, we will enjoy the benefits of heaven. But if we're only pursuing the benefits, then what we're actually loving is ourselves. Now, C.S. Lewis addresses this issue by pointing out that it is absolutely right to condemn a man who marries a woman for the sake of her money. That man should be condemned. We condemn those people because money is not the natural reward of true love. Okay, he goes on to say that marriage is actually the proper reward for a true, a real lover. And that lover is not being selfish in desiring marriage. If money comes along with their union, then that's just an added benefit. It's a reward. But it should never be the purpose of marriage, not the reason for marriage. Love is the reason. Marriage is the proper pursuit of a lover because it creates and celebrates an inseparable bond between the, those two that love each other. Marriage completes the love. It was God's plan for a man and a woman to be married in love. And in the same way, when we love God, we know that heaven is the place that our bond will be complete with God. And if we live our lives on earth with heaven in mind, thinking first of expressing our love to God, showing Him to be the object of our desires, of our love, then the rewards of heaven will follow. So, how do we express this love for God? The same way you express your love for your spouse or your children or anyone you love. You express it by demonstrating that you care about what they care about. By wanting what they want. By desiring what God desires, we show our love. And remember, what does he desire? I said earlier, his cause is people. And if we want to show our love of God, we show our love for people, and that will be rewarded. That's the gold, silver, and costly stones of our work. 
Whatever we do to point people to Jesus, to show them the love of God, is building on the foundation that Christ built by coming to show that God loved the world. And those acts will be rewarded. So, we don't serve in pursuit of rewards. Any work that's motivated solely by rewards in and of themselves, that's the kind of work that will be burned up no matter how good we think it is. Because those works are about us. What we get. And they're not about God and His kingdom. But when we serve in love, our Father, or by the way, and by the way, in obedience... Sometimes we do things for people we love that we don't really feel like doing. And so don't get the idea that this is all about a feel-good kind of love. So today I don't feel like loving my neighbor and so there's going to be no reward in it. No, 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 no. Sometimes obedience, always obedience demonstrates love. It is submission to the God we love. And so you don't have to feel great about it to get a reward. You just have to do it. Love is action. And sometimes it is accompanied by feeling. But always love toward God and others brings reward. When we serve in love, our Father who sees what is done for His sake will reward us. Always. So, in conclusion, what do we learn about the afterlife and rewards and punishments? Well, we need to remember there are two judgments. The first is based on, the the judgment is based on what we did with Christ, how we respond to His grace. Have you accepted the gracious offer of forgiveness for your sins through Jesus Christ? The second judgment says everything matters. Everything matters. Service to the kingdom of God will be rewarded. Service that is done out of response to our love as ambassadors of the kingdom of God will be rewarded. Service against God to the kingdom of darkness for those who do not believe will be punished. So, what do we do? Live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. It is appointed once for man to die. And after that, to face judgment. And at judgment, the question will be, Whose kingdom were you building? If you're building God's kingdom, there are rewards.
you're building your kingdom, there will be loss. And if you're serving the enemy's kingdom, there will be punishment. Whose kingdom are you serving? Let's bow our heads. If you're watching online or in the room and you think, gosh, I'm, I'm not real sure what's going to happen at that first judgment when we get sorted out whether I'm a believer in Jesus or not. Listen, there's no better moment than this one to sort that out. If, if you're feeling compelled, if, you, if, if God is drawing you to Christ, you hear Christ saying, come follow me then you can open your heart to Christ right now. Here's what he did for you. He died on the cross so that you could be forgiven and spend eternity in heaven. So you could be connected to your creator. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart, then do that right now. We aren't promised tomorrow. What we do right now matters. How we respond to Jesus will matter for eternity. So will you place your faith in Jesus today? For those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, life matters. Your decisions matter. What you love how you serve matters because in the end the light of day will bring our actions judgment and no matter what's gone before this moment matters is how you respond to God's invitation to love him and to love others from this point forward. Lord, so many times we just live in this moment without even thinking or recognizing that this world is not our home. But we know, Lord, that we must live with the end in mind. So, Father, by your grace, according to your truth, we we ask that you would point us toward that kingdom work that you are inviting us to. Help us to remember that your cause is people. And when we invest in people, when we remove stumbling blocks and point the way to you, that our reward here will be joy and our reward there will be a crown of righteousness that we'll be able to lay ultimately at the feet of Jesus. Lord, give us faith in what you have said today and may we live in its light. In Christ's name I pray. 
Amen.